Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So on our show, we're going to talk a little today about increasing protein levels in your crop, in particular wheat. But really in all crops, protein levels can be an issue. So we'll get into how you can improve those levels today. If you've got any questions for us, we would love to hear from you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. I know we're going to get to the AgPHD mailbag just shortly here. And also you can find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so to open the show today, we've been getting a lot of questions about frost. We talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday. But if you got your crop planted earlier than normal, especially beans, there, there's a lot of panic out there in the Midwest right now because we see temperatures coming in the next few days that could be, you know, 30, 28, who knows, maybe 26. And you get pretty nervous and you go, no, I just got done. I don't want to have to go replant everything. Well, hopefully you're not going to have to replant. The, the biggest thing that I would tell you is quit worrying I mean, when was the last time the weather forecast was absolutely dead right? (laughs) Was it ever? So, I I mean, that's the first thing. And the second thing is there's nothing you can do about it in advance anyway. So don't worry about it. You just have to wait, see what happens, and then assess the issue after that point. But understand that soybeans are pretty tolerant to cold temps when they're just in the cotyledon stage. Sure, if they're bigger, then they aren't as tolerant. But at this point... I. You know, honestly, like on our own farm, I think you'd have to get down to 24, 26, something like that for at least a couple of hours to truly kill a bunch of soybean plants. If you're just getting to 30, 31 degrees, 28, I'm really not too worried about it for beans in the cotyledon stage. And for corn, the growing point, as long as you plant it at least an inch and a half deep, that growing point's going to be below ground all the way until V6. So, I mean, unless you get down to... 15 degrees or something, I'm not too worried about corn as long as in the it's in that just emerged stage up all the way up to about V4, V5. So you're going to be fine. Now, if you do get some cold temps and the top growth on corn gets killed off, it's not the end of the world. Usually what we see is a slight delay in maturity, but 98% of the yield is still there. We have sometimes seen where the frost is, let's call it marginal, gets to 30 degrees, 29, something like that for just a little bit, and it kills just a few of the leaves on top. We actually have had some guys go in and mow stuff off, I mean, just cutting off some of that top growth, because sometimes the growing point can't push its way out through all that dead foliage that's there, but... I don't know. Darren, what do you think about that? I I usually tell guys I would I don't think I'd chance that. I think I'd just let it go. It'll eventually grow through it. Most of the time it grows through it just fine, or the wind whips it around enough that it breaks off and, and grows through just fine. So yeah, I, I agree. I'm not normally too worried about that. I can't say that I've ever felt a need to get out and mow it off on our field, but no on our farm, but I have been in fields that I've walked with other growers where as I'm walking, I've pulled off some of that dead material yep. just because it, it stinks to look at, but 
and we've never gone back to the whole field and mowed it. I will say this, but we though. we could. You could if it was yeah, really stuck. Yep, that's right. But I, I'd much rather deal with this issue than the issue we had last year where everything got planted super late. Now, I realize for you on your farm, you may not have your planting mostly done like we do or like a lot of people do in the Midwest. But it's still early. I mean, it's the first week of May. It's not the first week of June. There is time. Hopefully, you'll get everything in and hopefully our crop prices are going to turn around as well. So I, you know, when you when you step back for just a second, and I realize right now the farm economy stinks. Believe me, we farm over three thousand acres. I don't like it. You don't like it. But we have to look on the bright side of things. Number one, uh, before this, right before we had this whole COVID scare that started a couple of months ago. Things actually weren't too bad. Our prices, yep, I, I always want the prices higher because I'm a grain farmer, so I would like to see my corn and soybean and wheat prices higher, but they weren't at terrible levels, and I was pretty optimistic for this summer. I thought the basis was going to be better. Everything was pretty good. So, yeah, we've got a little blip in here for a couple of months, and you might say, well, this is going to hurt you know, for years, and the ramifications are going to be for years. Let's not forget, we had a short crop last year. We didn't have a long crop. We didn't even have a normal crop. We had a short crop last year. And I still don't believe the government report saying the bushels we had, the yield we had, the acres we had on corn last year. So in my opinion, this is the better time to have this type of issue as opposed to let's say we'd had two great crop years in a row leading up to this. Yeah, then we really would have had a lot of crop to get rid of. Ethanol plants have had to scale back. Some are shutting down. But you know what? A lot of the the United States and Canada, it's starting to reopen again. You're going to see more fuel consumption. Things are going to pick back up. So I'm optimistic about the future. And I, I just think as farmers, we always have to be optimistic. So I just encourage you, don't get too worried about the weather forecast that's coming up or anything like that. Things are probably going to turn out just fine. All right, Brian, you know, we, you're right. We have had a lot of questions about that. And I think the more we just sit there and watch those weather forecasts, the more nervous we get. I know uh, just the other day they lowered the weather forecast, lowered one of the nighttime lows to 30 degrees. And it was 32. Oh, my goodness. There was a panic. There are a lot of guys. Oh, no. Now they lowered it to 30. What if they lower it anymore? Well, guess what? We can't do anything about it. So I sit there and worry about it. You know what? It is what it is, and we'll just deal with it after it happens. Now, if you said, hey, I could still keep planting, absolutely. If you can keep planting soybeans and they're treated, why wouldn't you? Just get them in the ground, and you know what? They're not going to come out of the ground before that frost hits or, or could possibly hit anyway. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. All right, so right after this break, we are going to get into our topic today, which is increasing protein levels in crops, especially wheat. If you've got any questions for us or if you'd like to talk about that topic or anything else that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for heads-up seed treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. Going to talk a little about increasing protein levels, especially in wheat. And this is a question that we get every single year from lots of farmers around the world. Hey, I'm getting pretty good yields, is usually what people will say, but my protein level is not very good. What do I need to do to fix my protein level? Well, look, especially when you're, you're talking about wheat, there is one thing in particular that's going to take care of 90% of your problem here, and it is simply this, it's nitrogen. Now, the challenge with nitrogen is you think about a lot of the wheat fields in the United States and in Canada. How big are those wheat fields? Well, there are some that are enormously huge, but ask yourself this, do you get the same yield as you go all the way across that field? Of course you don't. So that also means, are you going to get the same protein level as you cross that field? Of course not. Here's where I'm going with all this. What really happens in that plant is it takes a certain amount of nitrogen to produce yield. If you're getting above what you expected, above what you fertilized for even in terms of yield, that's going to take directly from the amount of nitrogen that's available to produce the protein in your plant. So you're going to end up being short on protein at the end, even though your yield was really good. Now, this might not be a big deal to you if you're still at whatever your protein target is for, for wherever you're hauling the grain. But ultimately, the way I look at this thing, and Darren, I don't know what how you feel about this, but I just kind of look at it as... If I've got any shortage in anything, whether it's protein, it's a certain vitamin, it's a certain element, if I've got any shortage in anything that ends up to either livestock or humans, you know what? I should have fixed that out in my field. It probably ended up hurting my overall net income because ultimately as a farmer, I don't just want to produce yield. I want to produce healthy food for whoever will have that, whoever will take that. You know, here's the challenge with that thinking, though, Brian, and I, I do agree with that, but the challenge is if you don't get paid for protein, are you even measuring it? And do you even care? 
And you think about it like this. I know we talk about corn silage. How is corn silage paid for? In most cases, it's paid by the ton. So what are people concerned about? How do I get the most tons? With wheat, what are they paid by? Well, if you're paid by protein, I guarantee you, you're listening today thinking, wow, wonder if these guys have any other tips for me because I can make some more money if I can get some more protein. If you're not getting paid for protein, though, and you're just getting paid for weight, just bushels, well... Are you focused on these I little agree. details and do you really, are you able to figure out, you know what, what exactly could get me a little bit more? Because most, most farmers that I talk to say, well, if I get a whole bunch more protein, I usually have lower yield. Well, part of that reason is you didn't have enough nitrogen out there to do both. If you had enough nitrogen available and sulfur and some of these things that build protein, you can get high yield and high protein, but we only put out enough protein for, well, I'm, I'm shooting for 100 bushel wheat. Only put out enough nitrogen. Or nitrogen, sorry. Yeah. And then if you get the 100 bushel wheat, well, you have no extra protein there to then, or no extra but, nitrogen there to build the protein too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I guess where we see most of the issues is where you have exceeded whatever your yield goal was. You say, I'm shooting for whatever, 50 bushel, and you get 70. That's when we see a lot of the protein problems. And where I was going with this variance that you get across the field, in areas, you might have decent protein levels. In other areas, not. So just like we talk about in corn all the time, we would encourage you in wheat, consider doing some grid soil sampling. Consider doing some variable rate applications. Put more nitrogen where it's going to get used, not just for yield, but also for protein. And our encouragement for you on the wheat is with the, the, the protein thing, it absolutely can be fixed. So if you've been having issues with this year after year, just understand it's a problem you can solve. Like I said earlier, 90% of the issue is lack of nitrogen. That's simple to fix. Just put more nitrogen out there. Now, the more rain you have and the lighter your soil, the later that nitrogen is going to have to be applied. Otherwise, you run the risk of losing some of it. But what we would typically encourage you to do is do some stream barring. Maybe even it's at flag leaf or right before flag leaf. Maybe it's right after flag leaf. There are some people who will go out with 10 gallons of 28% along with 10 gallons of water right at heading timing. I don't really love that method, putting 30 pounds of actual nitrogen on right at heading, but that absolutely can impact the protein level in wheat. The reason why I don't like putting nitrogen right over the top of the crop in a broadcast application is I just worry about leaf damage. I worry about damaging the plant, and that's the last thing that I want to do is actually hurt my plant with something I'm investing in the crop with. Darren mentioned sulfur too. So yes, there are some other things that we're always going to look at. It's all the other stuff to raising a great crop. It's good drainage. It's having good sulfur levels, phosphorus, potassium, the micronutrients especially, taking care of your weeds, your insects, your diseases. All those things will play a small role in what are your protein levels. But when studies have been run in the past on all these different things, okay, what's most important it's always the nitrogen that really stands out. So we're not saying just handle the nitrogen. We're saying try to do everything you can to raise a great crop. And, you know, when you hear us talking, too, about nitrogen, you're probably going, oh, well, sure, I'll just spend more money. You guys always want me to spend more money. No, I want you to spend money wisely. It's That's the exact reason why we encourage you to do soil tests and plant tissue analysis, too. It's not about how many dollars you spend. It's how you spend those dollars. 
So there are a lot of things you can do that can still provide you a good return on investment, even though the commodity prices are down. You know, one of the things that I look at a lot, too, is I just kind of go back in time, and I think a lot about 2005. That was before we had the big run-up in crop prices. Do you know what the crop price or the corn price was back in 2005 in my area? You know what it was in the fall of 2005? I remember exactly what it was. It was a dollar and 30 cents in October of 2005. $1.30. <laughs> think about that. And today we're complaining because around here it's 260. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'd love for it to be 360 or 460. I'm not saying I'm happy with 260. I'm simply saying even back then in 2005, we had a dollar and 30 cent corn and yes, we had LDPs and stuff so you could get up to about a dollar 75, dollar 80, something like that. But still, you go, man, that is not a whole lot of income. Well, look back at what you had to spend on some of the crop protection products or fertilizer or anything else. Some of these input costs are even cheaper today than they were back in 2005. My point is there are still opportunities to do things to give yourself a good return on investment if you actually need that thing. So that's what we always say. It's not about spending more money. It's not about cutting expenses either. What it is, is it's about managing the money so it goes to things that hopefully are going to give you a good return. And Darren brings up a great point. If you're going to get paid for protein, then you got to start really taking a look at protein. If you're not going to get paid for it, then why would you do it? It's just like when I talk to a lot of people that work on exports for the United States and they say, well, you know, we could do a better job exporting and people be more interested in our corn or our beans or whatever else if we had higher quality. And I go, we can produce higher quality. Pay us for it. Well, they don't want to pay us for it. Well, of course, then we're not as interested in, in quality. But all I'm saying here is there are a lot of great things we can do for quality. And especially if you're looking at protein in wheat or any crop, look real hard at nitrogen. Yes, do all the other things that you need to do, but look real hard at nitrogen and the protein gets determined late in the year. Yield gets determined a little bit earlier. So the nitrogen early is going to get robbed for yield or used for yield, the nitrogen late, that can go into your protein. So you have to have ample available nitrogen late in the season. If you have that, you will have better protein levels. Right. And then you need the other things that go along with nitrogen to help the plant utilize the nitrogen. And much like we talk about in corn, we're looking at things like molybdenum and boron and sulfur. You want to look at the same things in wheat. And if you haven't even been measuring those, Again, here's another thing. If you measure it, it's much easier to manage it, and you can start tracking those things in your field to see, hey, where I had these things in line and in this certain balance, I got more protein. And when you start seeing that pattern show up on your farm, it really gives you a good direction on how to invest your dollars. Talking about increasing protein in wheat and other crops on today's program, also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. It's the mailbag, the mighty mailbag, ask the questions with glee. It's the mailbag, the mighty mailbag, with Brian and Darren Hefty. All right, it is time for the Ag PhD Mailbag. We're broadcasting live today from the Morton studio. You can send us a question, radio at agphd.com. Find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Or you can just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. First one comes from Keith. He said, I found a few of these little fellas in our wheat at heading time. Of course, I'm talking about aphids. What do you recommend to get them under control? All right, so you are at heading time, so we've got a lot of canopy out there. We've got a lot of 
uh, material out in the field and we're getting closer to harvest. So I start thinking about pre-harvest interval, but you've got plenty of time. And if we can get an insecticide treatment out there, we should be in good shape. Now, there's a few things that that you should be thinking about. One, you could possibly use Transform. If you said, I've got all kinds of beneficials, I don't want to hurt the beneficials, I only want to get the aphids. If you haven't heard of Transform, it's a product that kills aphids, and I'll just read it right off their label, aphids, flea hoppers, plant bugs, stink bugs, white flies, and certain psyllids, scales, and thrips. That's it. I forgot about the stink bugs. Yeah, it doesn't get anything else. So if you said, look, that's all I have, I don't want to hurt my beneficials, well, there you go. Spray, transform. That would be a good choice for you. You're going to spend six bucks. However, if you said, well, I don't want to spend six bucks, I want to spray a pyrethroid, I can do that a lot cheaper, they can work. But Brian, why are the pyrethroids not working very well on aphids? I think they work fantastically well on aphids. It's just you have to have your expectations right and you have to use the right rate. I find a lot of people cutting the rate because they'll see on the label it will give you a rate range you're going to save 25 cents or 50 cents by cutting the rate a little bit. Don't cut the rate. It costs $2 for the full rate, and you need it on aphids. Now, do you need it if it was cutworms? No, but you absolutely need it on aphids. So if I was writing the label, I would have changed the label. And quite frankly, I would have tried to get a slightly higher rate even labeled because the pyrethroids don't knock those bugs down fast. They don't knock the aphids down fast. And so this is one of the problems I have when you hear people talk about, oh, you got to have huge aphid counts before it pays. I'm like, no, you don't. It's $2. It's $2. Plus, if you let those aphids get ahead of you, then you can't catch up sometimes. You're going to kill 95, 98% of them. Well, if you got a billion out there, you still have enough to damage your yield. So get after them. It's the same thing with soybean aphids and soybeans. No way. I'm not letting those aphids destroy my yield. I've seen it way too many times in the past. It costs $2 to use the insecticide. Just get out there a little on the early side. The other big issue, Darren, that I see in wheat is there's not enough scouting for insects. There's a lot of scouting for for weeds and for other things, even diseases sometimes. But I don't see a lot of insect scouting being done. There is far too little insecticide that is sprayed in wheat, and then the aphids just continue to thrive. You can absolutely control them very well with the pyrethroids. If you want to have faster knockdown, you can always spend a couple more bucks and go to Lorsban. But yeah, most people just go with the $2 option. Uh, Let me add one last thing in. Transform came out quite a few years ago, and we started talking about that right away in soybeans. And I thought, man, there are going to be a lot of people that go with Transform. This is going to be great. We finally have something that won't kill all the beneficials. And I'm sick of constantly hearing people say, well, I'm worried about the beneficials. (laughs) As soon as Transform came out, though... What we saw is no sales of Transform. And I'm going, wait a second. Why are people, and I, I continue talking to farmers about it all the time. I'm like, it's it's $6 versus $2. And guy's like, well, I wanted to save the beneficials, but not for four extra dollars an acre. That's your call. That's your call. All I'm saying is we've got a great option that will kill the aphids and do a phenomenal job. 
I mean, as good as anything out there, and it won't kill the beneficial. So if that's what you want to do, yep, it costs six bucks an acre, but it's a really, really, really good product, Transform. All right. Thanks for the question, Keith. Uh, this one comes from Pat. He said, what happened to the 2 or $3 fungicide treatments for wheat? All my local dealers talk about 10 to $15 an acre. I have no idea. Uh, if you go with generic propiconazole, that'd be like tilt. That costs $2 an acre. Otherwise, I, you what know, about I, like I'm in big the bear, on... What about it like in the bear program where what you've, about it? you've got lots of fungicides that are in there? Could you use some of those potentially for your wheat acre if they were your fourth or fifth product? Well, if it was your fourth or fifth product, that could get Stratego down, you know, for a half rate down to about two or three bucks and the full rate in the four to six dollar range. So, yes, if it was your fourth or fifth bear product, you absolutely could get Stratego there. The other product that I wanted to mention, though, is for early applications in wheat, a lower rate is labeled for Nexacore, and that'll only cost you about five bucks. So Nexacore is fantastic. You got three modes of action. Stratego is really good, too, but it's only got two modes of action. So I'm, I'm just saying here, there are so plenty the, of options. So the 2 to $3 thing is generally talking about insecticide with Wait, half, whoa, rate, whoa, whoa, no. with half I, rate fungicide. No, no. If you full want really rate? good ones, you no. can do it for five bucks. No, full rate propiconazole. You're know, talking but, two bucks. I know, but that's not as good as you can do. With I don't care. Things. He just he did not ask about good or bad. It's just like we were talking about transform versus uh, versus uh, cheap pyrethroid. You want great, and you want no kill of beneficials or almost no kill of beneficials. Then you got to spend the extra money. It's just the way it is. But he's asking about cheap. And yeah, propiconazole's out there, but there are other options too. There are all kinds of products you should be able to get out at least on the early side for that 2 to $5 range. All right. Well, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Pat. Hopefully that helps you. We got one from Grant in Minnesota. He said, I've got some Diflex Duo on hand. I was going to be spraying, but I just found out that my neighbor is planting peas. I'm concerned about both modes of action potentially damaging the peas. Yep. I'm wondering if you have suggestions, if you think we should switch herbicides, and if the <laughs> wind is out of the right direction for 48 hours like Extendamax, could I still get by with it if I know for sure for the next couple of days the wind's blowing the other way? Okay, here's the problem. What are you going to switch to? You say, well, yeah, what am I going to switch to? You know what I mean? Because... The HPPD would cause a problem. Any dicamba product would cause a problem. Status has a little bit of dicamba in there. That would cause a problem. So the only thing that I can think of that wouldn't cause a problem is buckthrow. Well, that's not going to kill enough weeds. So that's out. So no, you, you can't really switch things up. And I, I don't have a big issue with Diflex Duo. That's perfectly fine. And it's a great weed killer. Love it. And because that bear rebate program this year, it's pretty cheap. So what I would do is I just make sure the wind is blowing out of the correct direction for when I'm spraying and 48 hours afterward. If you do that, you should be in good shape. But I'd also say try to spray on the early side. Don't be late. Spray early. The earlier it is in the season, the more tolerance the peas will have if something was to go completely awry. The exact same thing is what we see with soybeans. So I'm not suggesting I want any drift onto the peas. Don't get me wrong. Both modes of action, you are correct, will absolutely damage the peas. So make sure that wind is blowing away from the peas for 48 hours after spraying, and you should be in good shape. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one. Uh, 
came in about cover crops. What is your opinion on sowing cover crops around V6 or V8 in corn? Have you ever tried that? <laughs> we get this question all the time. Here's my problem with that. What do we say about crop canopy? What we've talked about, so we've been doing our Ag PhD television show now for 22, over 22 years. And there are a lot of people that say, oh, you guys are just trying to push herbicides and everything else. I'm like, I couldn't care less. I'd love it if you never had to spray a herbicide. Don't ever forget that the best weed killer there is, is good crop canopy. That's why we talk more than anything about great drainage and great fertility and great seed treatments, quite frankly, because we want to get that crop up and growing and choke everything else out. Well, if you seed in, in effect, a weed to your corn, and I'm going to call the cover crop a weed to the corn because it's not corn and it's not making you money. So if you seed that in, it's going to get started probably because there will be a little sunlight in the beginning, but then you're going to have this enormous corn crop out there and you're going to choke out most of the cover crop. So I just don't see why we would want to do that. You, you can certainly try it, but you're probably going to face... 70, 80, 90% mortality of the cover crop you seeded. I'd much rather have you harvest the corn the day after you go seed a cover crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. We interrupt this message for an important announcement. In these uncertain times, many farmers are looking to prolong their grain storage. That's why Farm Shop MFG is offering a $12.50 credit per germinator towards the purchase of a Grain Temp Guard Alarm DT, up to $200 per unit. Protect last year's crop and start 2020 off right. Go to farmshopmfg.com to order today. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. 
What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, first one here comes from Matt in central Illinois about PPO injury on soybeans. He said, my emerging soybeans are showing PPO damage from an application of Spartan. I'm not a, I'm not totally dissatisfied with the situation. Weed control looks good, of course, but... This is kind of the perfect storm for PPO damage. My soybeans are fighting through some very cold and wet conditions. I know it's too early to really do anything about that if I wanted to replant. But my question is, do you tear up a field, either chemically or mechanically, due to the erratic nature of the alternative here, replanting at a reduced rate? Or what do you recommend? Is there a minimum population, et cetera? Okay, so let me first say, without looking at the field, I don't think for either Darren or me, we would be comfortable telling you, oh, 100% for sure you're fine. Personally, I believe you've got a 99% chance of being fine. I think it's going to be okay. We, we Matt's got an 80 bushel plus yield history on this field. It's fine. So can he still get 80 bushel yields Absolutely. with a hundred hundred thousand stand or something like that? He started off yeah, at but, 150. Yeah, but I don't think he'll lose stand, more than a third of his stand. I'd be well. He doesn't even know what his final stand is. So it's all speculation at this point, correct? You don't have a final stand number, right? Well, no. He's seeing some injury now in the ones that are coming through. Right, they're so. just coming through. So give it a few more days. It's probably going to come through. But, you know, this is another thing that we talk about quite often with herbicides. We'd rather have you not have to spray herbicides at all and have the weeds magically disappear. Now, <laughs> you go, well, that's impossible. I realize it is. But here's where I'm going with this. All herbicides enter the crop. All herbicides injure the crop. And I don't care if it's Roundup tolerant crop and you're spraying Roundup on it. I don't care if it's Liberty tolerant crop and you're spraying Liberty on it. I don't care if it seems like a safe herbicide and you're spraying it on the crop. All herbicides injure crop. Now, I'm not saying they take lots of yield off or anything, but what I am saying is you may sometimes see, just like he is, some slight damage out there. The plants are most likely going to go grow through that. I'm not that worried about it because Spartan is actually quite safe to that crop. You'll see just some cosmetic injury early on. It's kind of the same thing that we'll see with Valor Splash sometimes. And usually what that means is two things. He did say the one good thing, weed control is good. We're going to see more and better weed control because there's been plenty of moisture. The problem then, though, is that we do see a little bit of that cosmetic injury. The plant's going to grow out of that. So, yeah, there are some things where we say, boy, it's a lot of risk, or some things where we go, oh, it's just a little bit of risk. Spartan with soybeans, same thing with Valor. 
it's only a little bit of risk. Now, if it was 2,4-D in front of non-2,4-D tolerant soybeans, I would say that's a lot of risk and that I don't want to do. But when it's just Spartan, no, I'm not too worried about it. I think it's going to grow out of it just fine. And yeah, if you had 100,000 left, do you still have that yield potential? You do. The reason why we talk so much about planting 130, 140, 150,000 is number one, you're only going to have 90% warm germ, 80% cold germ. So right off the bat, you've lost 10 to 20% of your seed. Number two, if you get anything else that happens, any crusting, any hail, any just any other issues, you don't have a lot of cushion. So if let's say that Spartan or something else takes out just a little bit of your stand and you seat at 150, you should still be fine. All right, let's get to the phone lines. we got Evan calling in from down in Iowa. Hey, Evan, how are you? Good, good. Had a question on heat shield. Sure, go ahead. Um, applying it to trees. Will the leaves take it in just like corn and soybeans do, uh, application method, uh, and the amount. I'm assuming these things will reproduce on their own. If you just get some in, then... That's a, that's a good question. So we're talking about a product that contains fungal endophytes. So endophytes mean the, the fungus actually lives inside the plant, as you well know, Evan. I'm, I'm saying this for our listeners here. And yeah. when I look at what plants heat shield will work for. One of the things that I was really nervous about when we first started using this product on our own farm is, ooh, if I spray it foliar out in my soybean field, I've got some water hemp out there. Will it? Will the water hemp take it in? And one of the things that the researchers that had developed heat shield said is, well, water hemp already has fungal endophytes in. They aren't going to take in your heat shield ones. They're going to reject them. I don't know if trees and, and various species of trees have fungal endophytes already in them. So I, I, I'm not yeah. sure, Evan, if this is going to be a positive for for uh, trees or not. Okay. Well, I call, a, call a forester, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that I, they're going to know, know either. Know. Right. It's, it's interesting because people just aren't, especially in our country, have not been talking about fungal endophytes that much. When I got a chance a couple of years back here to travel to New Zealand, it was very interesting down there. They were they were all over talking about fungal endophytes in different crops and different plants, and, and that was a big topic and one that people seemed a lot more well-versed on than, than I was, for sure, and that I find people in our country. So, yeah, I'm not certain about that one, Evan, but... But uh, let me talk to some folks. I, I've got your number. I can give you a holler back and, and talk to you a little more about that and let you know what I learned. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. You bet. Thank you. Yep. Hey, Darren, yesterday we had a question, too, that I couldn't answer. And this one was on building on salty soil. They wanted to do construction on salty soil. So I did a little reading on that, and it all depends on how high that salt level is. It, you know, when we consider it too salty for crop ground, that doesn't necessarily mean it's too salty or it's going to cause a big problem with construction. So I, I, to go back to yesterday's question about that, you know, that person would really just have to talk to an engineer and what are they looking for for specs in that soil. So anyway, it's it's just whole different when we're talking about construction versus we're talking about, hey, we want to raise a great crop in a field. Hey, talk about talk about that. I uh, got a couple of questions here from the same person regarding irrigation water and wondering about if your irrigation water has a lot of salt. If your irrigation water is saline and your soils yep. are saline, how, how can you deal with that? 
Well, the first thing that I try to do is get a different water source. After that, you got to look at good drainage. Salt, just on its own, isn't necessarily a problem as long as there's only a, a, a moderate amount getting on your field each year, provided you can get rid of it each year. So just as an example, we apply some manure on our farm every year. We get the manure tested before we apply it. So then we can put on the proper amounts of NPK and the micronutrients. Anyway, right at the bottom of the, the test for the manure, it will say, and we, we run our test through Midwest Labs, and it'll say at the bottom, okay, a certain amount of this product can be used. Otherwise, you're going to exceed X level for salt, and we don't feel that safe. My point is, I make sure that we stay below that level. So if we're overdoing it, we get too much salt on that crop, it's obviously a big problem. But if we do this in moderation, and we can literally do it every year, we're okay unless we have poor drainage. If we have poor drainage, that means that the salts are going to start building up in our soil. The great thing about salts is they're leachable. So as long as you get normal, well, I should say my normal rainfall, if as long as you have irrigation that you're pumping out there and the salts can are permitted to flow out of your soil through tile lines or good natural drainage, you should be fine if you're putting on a moderate amount. But without knowing what that level is, I can't really answer that question. You could just send your water in for analysis to a lab and have them tell you how much actual salt you're getting out there per acre. Now, if you have salty soils, I mean, we talk about a lot of these things here on the show, you know, how to fix a saline soil. It's not like it's that difficult. It just takes a little bit of time. All right. I got another saline soil question we can dive into after that. I got a quick one though. First, Jay said you were talking about direct seeding versus having a nurse crop with your alfalfa. Would you handle that kind of like intercropping? What do you mean? Would we? Well, in most like in most cases, Jay, I don't think you're trying to necessarily. If you put oats in with alfalfa, you're not necessarily trying to harvest the oats as much as just. Yeah, you are. A lot of guys are trying to really? harvest the oats. Absolutely. Some guys will kill it off. Some guys are trying so, to harvest it. But you're trying to raise two different crops at the same time. That rarely works because they're each a weed to the other. We'll get back with more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your cornhead handle it? The GTS X10 cornhead from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. I've got an axe to grind. I hate bromes. Brome grasses can be brutal on winter wheat yields. If you really want to give winter wheat a fighting chance, be brutal right back with Prepare Burn Down Herbicide. Adding Prepare to your glyphosate extends brome control for up to 21 days, giving young wheat the weed-free head start it needs to make something of itself. Because the cleaner the field, the higher the yield. Talk to your retailer or visit preparewinterwheat.com and always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio. If you want to call in, got a little bit of time left today, 844-44-AG-PHD. So right before the break, Darren asked this question about alfalfa and the nurse crop of, I think he said oats, Darren. And I just made the quick comment, and we were out of time there, that it rarely works when you have two totally different crops because each is a weed to the other. My whole point here is you can't maximize your oat yield. You can't maximize your alfalfa production, nor will you have the very best ultimate long-term stand with alfalfa when you do this. Now, that's not to say that it's a dumb idea to ever throw a nurse crop in with alfalfa, or there are other crops that will occasionally uh, call for a nurse crop. The, The reason why I say this is because Yes, you might not be able to maximize yield, but you also might lose your entire stand for one reason or another. Erosion, you have light soil that if you get a big wind could literally cut off that that crop that comes up later. I mean, there are a number of reasons why you may consider using a nurse crop. If we can avoid it, that's great. I would prefer to avoid it. But if you feel like you have to do that, hey, it's it's just one of those things. So there are many things that we sacrifice on the farm. We we talk quite often here on the show about trying to do things the ideal way. <laughs> but we farm too. We understand. There are very few ideal days. It's just like for Darren and me. We're out doing some filming today. Do you know how few filming days, how many days we can actually film outside on a per year basis here where we live? 
it's very few. We lose almost half the year because of winter. We lose so many other ones because of wind, because of um, whether it's rain or, you know, some bad weather event. Conditions are too muddy. Um, The sun isn't right. I mean, just there's something wrong all the time, it seems like. And it's the same thing with farming. You're never going to face, you're never going to have the exact ideal year or the exact ideal situation. So, yeah, I'd prefer to have alfalfa raised all by itself, just direct seed it. But if you have to raise or if you have to throw a nurse crop with it, you just have to. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Good. Got a question here about urea. This is from Rick in central South Dakota. He said, some of our surface supplied urea may have been lost from being out too far in front of a rain. We didn't plan on it that way, but we missed some rains recently they were counting on. that happens. Now, we normally use urease inhibitors and normally strip on a portion of the nitrogen in the fall, but we weren't able to do it due to weather last fall. So just wondering how long after a good rain does it take for urea to show up as nitrate in a soil test so we could test and see if we've lost things? Would you rather wait and test later? Oh, I'd way rather wait. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, Okay. So let's talk about this specific issue and his exact question. How long until it converts over and will show up as nitrate? No one knows. No one knows exactly what it is. I mean, it's going to depend on heat, on rain, and, you know, on on just your overall soil life. So there, there are too many factors to tell you, oh, seven days later, it should all show up as nitrate, or most of it should show up as nitrate. I would expect that two weeks after you've applied it, most of it should be showing up. But, you know, it could be within six days, could be three weeks. I don't I don't really know. I would tell you wait. And the reason why I would tell you wait is, who knows, you might have, I'm, I'm not wishing this upon you and I hope this doesn't happen, but you might not have a good crop coming. There might be other things going on. So why rush out there to make another application right now when you can do this a little bit later in the year. Maybe on the flip side, you have fantastic conditions for organic matter mineralization. And for whatever reason this has happened on our farm, we go out and test the soil before we're going to put a side dress application on and we go, what in the world? How do we have 300 pounds of nitrogen out here? I can't believe it. And we did. And we didn't put any more nitrogen on. We sure didn't need it. And we had record yield. So you just don't know. Soil is to some degree unpredictable. Well, (laughs) to almost all degrees unpredictable. So I would absolutely wait. When he asked that question, Darren, I thought about herbicide applications too. So this is another commonly asked question that we get in the spring. Guys say, I went out and sprayed my herbicide, and just as I was pulling out of the field, it started to rain. Should I go right back out there now after the rain and spray some more herbicide on? And I say, no way. Number one, any residual herbicide, it's still there. Number two, even the contact herbicides, typically if it had the chance to dry onto the plant, it's going to work almost 100%. So even if you just got it on 10 minutes ago, it might work. But I don't know if it's going to work or not. Here's the next thing. As soon as that herbicide gets sprayed on the plant, it's going to start to shut down that plant. So you will find that plant shutting down even in a few minutes, definitely in an hour. So if you're going to go back out there four or six hours later, you can spray herbicide on, but the plant isn't very receptive to it. It'll remain on the leaves, which a lot of that leaf tissue is now starting to die and close up. So I'm just trying to say here, you if this happens to you, 
and you have a herbicide application, you get rained out for whatever reason, you, you, you know, you, you're just leaving the field, it starts raining, whatever. Just wait. Just see in a week or two if you still have some weeds to kill. You might have some spots you have to go clean up or something like that, but don't panic. And it's like a lot of these other things we've been talking about today. Let's just wait and see what happens. Calm down a little bit. It's very easy for all of us, especially in times like, like we're in right now, to be emotional. Well, when you start making decisions based on emotion, a lot of times you make dumb decisions. So we've got to do everything we can to take our emotions out of our decisions. Just calm down, step back. If you got any big questions, just ask us. We, we got lots and lots of experience. We can help get you through it. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate it. This one comes from Jeff in Michigan. He said, I've got a farm that was wheat last year and I burned down most of the stubble in the fall, but was not able to get to all of it. Now my ground's fit and ready to plant soybeans, but I got some patches of volunteer wheat coming. I'm spraying <laughs> a three pre-program with metolachlor, metribuzin, and imazethapir. And I'm wondering, could I mix glyphosate with that yes. to kill off the grass that's greened up. Yes. Also, I'm wondering about metribuzin. I have heard conflicting reports. Some say it can antagonize the glyphosate. Others tell me no. it's just fine. Just wondering what you think. And just a side note, I may actually do a little tiling after planting after listening to you guys earlier this week. Okay. In terms of this antagonism with metribuzin and glyphosate, I'll say this. If let's say we've got a perennial broadleaf weed that we're going out there with two quarts of Roundup and we're throwing some Metribuzin in, but we're trying with that two quarts of Roundup to get down into the great big root system, then yes, it's possible that the Metribuzin could shut the plant down, just like in 2,4-D is way worse. 2,4-D absolutely antagonizes Roundup in that type of situation. Okay. That isn't this situation. I'm assuming you've got annual weeds that all you're trying to do is burn down. It's no big deal. You could throw some metribuzin in. I don't care if you kill the weed with metribuzin, it kill it dies with Roundup, it dies with, you know, whatever else you're spraying. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's just an annual weed. So don't get too worried about it. So even though I said no, I'm not worried about the antagonism, yes, technically there could be, and I just wanted to explain where I'm going with that. In terms of killing volunteer wheat, this is much tougher than if you have foxtail, for example. If you go out there with foxtail, you could use a half rate of Roundup, and it's still going to wipe out every single foxtail plant in your whole field. No problem. But if you try that, even with a normal rate of, like, let's say 22 ounces of six-pound Roundup, you might not be real happy with the performance on volunteer wheat. Volunteer wheat is just tough to kill. What makes it even worse is a lot of times you're spraying it early in the spring when it's cold. If that nighttime temp is below 50 degrees, we want you to bump that Roundup rate even more. So all of a sudden, number one, you're going after volunteer wheat, and at a bare minimum, you got to be at 22 ounces. Now, if the weather's cold, now you got to bump it to 32. So I realize you don't like that, but still, I mean, 32 ounces today could only cost you a dollar or two dollars. I mean, depending on you know how much rebate you're getting back on it. So it's not like you're going to spend a lot of money, but nevertheless. Um, I, I would encourage you use 32 ounces, even if it ends up costing you four or five dollars. It's going to be worth it because you will get a much better kill and you've got to get after that wheat right away before it robs a whole bunch of the water and nutrients that your crop is going to need. 
All right, thanks for that question. Really appreciate it. Uh, we got so many questions in again, and Brian started the show off talking about frost risk and a lot of people nervous about that again. If your growing point is below the soil surface, like with corn, if you planted it at a proper uh, inch and a half to two inches or more deep, you're going to be just fine. If you've got some soybeans just starting to break through the ground, generally they're pretty tolerant up to a certain point as well. We'll see how it plays out over the next week. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Bye.